0: Hello, everyone. My name is Belen Gomez. I am the Vice President of Strategic Initiatives at Equilar, and it's my pleasure to welcome all of our listeners to our inaugural, the very first episode of our CHRO Quick Talk, or Quick talk series, uh, where we'll be hosting senior leaders in HR to talk about top of mind issues for CHROs today. And I have the pleasure of kicking off the series with Eileen Schloss, Eileen is the former CHRO of Metadata. She also serves on several public and nonprofit boards, including Alteryx, Sprinkler, CCC Intelligent Solutions, and ShareThrough, just to name a few the boards that she has uh, served. And so, with that, Eileen, I want to thank you so much for being our very first interviewee as a part of this series and welcome you to the series. And we have a lot to cover in a very short amount of time.
1: Well, thanks. I'm delighted to be here.
0: Wonderful. So, I wanted to start off the conversation with a topic that that we had discussed previously, which is this opportunity for CHRO engagement at the board level, Mm -hmm. thinking about the boards that they work with currently, but also thinking longer term in terms of the opportunity for them to grow and develop and think about that next step toward board service for themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think about a recent article that we saw come out from Bloomberg, I think it was just a, a few weeks back where they looked at the data, they looked at the representation of new board members coming on over the past year that had an HR background compared to the year prior. I think it was a 20% increase, 20% increase of board members joining from an HR background in, in the past year. And I think the data and just the anecdotal information that we hear, which is there's a high high value to executives who are coming from an HR background to bring that level of expertise to the board. And so I want to start there and have you just tell us a bit about your journey, how you made that transition from senior HR executive to now sitting board member.
1: Yeah, thanks for that. And the context around that, because things have changed so drastically in the last five years. I did retire just about five years ago. And during my last year in Si, it was actually my CEO who said to me, you should be serving on boards. And I said, I would love to. But five years ago, nobody was really thinking about HR leaders as being primary board members. It was always CFOs or recently seated and retired CEOs. And his response was, that, that makes no sense because half of the work I do with the board is all the work that you do with me. The comp committee, the equity management, um, board recruitment, non-gov committee, succession planning, all of those things that HR leaders do all year long on a regular basis and have that interaction with um, board members, particularly comp committee members. So I have to give much credit to uh, my ally and sponsor, my previous HR um, CEO who uh, basically introduced me to a couple of um, investors, previous investors of the company, who were ready to add independent board members to some of their companies that were going public. I had the pleasure of meeting Dean Stoker. He was the CEO at the time of Altrix. They had just gone public. And he said, not only do I want independent uh, board members, I want women on my board. And by the way, this was before the California legislation came through and he said more importantly I need somebody on my board that really understands human capital culture and all the other things that I deal with on the board that are not all the financial metrics. So that was over almost five years ago I joined Altrix, and since then through my uh, consulting work with Advent International Private Equity Firm they exposed me to one of their portfolio companies who was also going public And again, the work we do as HR leaders, non-gov work, making sure that um, comp committees, equity management, all those things were uh, top of mind when this company, CCC, was getting ready to go public, moving their private uh, compensation practices into a public market. So I'll pause there because there were so many um, opportunities that I was able to be um, introduced to Mostly because my deep compensation background, and I know that's an area you want to ta- uh, tap into. So I'll yes,
0: talk. that that is a great segue to to the next question that we have teed up, which is in our conversations we talked about how deep knowledge of executive compensation and broad-based compensation practices is a huge advantage for CHROs to bring value, again, not only to the boards that they're working with at their companies, but also positioning for future board opportunities and really having that level of expertise and, and technical knowledge. So if you could share a little bit about just your perspective as a former CHRO, as a board member now evaluating candidates, um, thinking about candidates and, and in particular, the comp committee and how well positioned CHROs are to, to capitalize on that area of expertise.
1: Absolutely, as a matter of fact, I would say more so in the last two years than ever before. When I think about, I, I talked to a lot of candidates, mostly women who are really interested in joining a board. And my first question is, why do you want to join a board? Do you really know what board work is all about? And across most uh, businesses, the board work really is done in the committees. And there are three primary committees, the audit committee, the compensation committee, and the nomgov or nominating gov- governance committee, we call nomgov. The, the audit committee, they're definitely looking for financial expertise, people that um, are considered uh, certified financial uh Individuals. However, the comp committee and the non-gov committee, if you think about the work that the senior HR leader does, interacting with the chair of the comp committee, driving the agenda, working with the CEO and the general counsel on whatever the proposals are for that uh, quarter or that year around executive comp, around equity management. In today's environment, all of the things that are going on around new and different incentives, because of whether it's the great resignation or there's a lot of turnover at the more senior level, and we have to go above and beyond to do some of the recruiting um, activities to get some of these folks across the line that may be out of guidelines. So the HR leader has to be really deeply involved and understand what's happening real time in the compensation market and be able to put a compelling case together for the comp committee, certainly working with the chair in advance, and then presenting to the comp committee, obviously with the partnership and um, guidance from the CEO, and sit there and talk about why are we making this proposal? What impact does it have on the business? If you think about most companies, the largest cost of running a company is the cost of labor. And if you get that wrong by a point too high or too low, you are significantly impacting the cost of running that business. So I strongly encourage all HR leaders, if you're not deeply involved already in either managing your comp committee or having a great relationship with the chair of your comp committee, it's very important to get involved. Obviously we always use outside consultants um, such as Radford and Compensia and that sort of thing. And many times the outside consultants like to take the lead with the comp committee chair. I think it's equally important for the head of HR to build that very strong relationship with the outside comp consultant, since they are the one that that are generating all the survey data that goes to the um, outside consultant. You wanna be managing that process very carefully, not just submitting the data and then having it go to the comp committee chair. So I would encourage all of the HR leaders to really think about who their outside committee um, is using for their uh, comp consultants and to build that relationship. And if possible, if it works between the general counsel and the CEO, that you can manage the comp committee, meaning putting together the agenda, understanding um, each of the proposals that go out on an annual basis, that's going to pay dividends when you are looking for a board seat. The other area that is really important as I um, screen folks for board positions is the Nominating and Governance Committee. Mm -hmm. Typically, that has historically been succession planning has been the key factor for the Non-Gov Committee and adding new board members. Well, in the last couple of years, ESG has become a mainstay of looking at companies, both public and private, What are the non-financial metrics that companies need to be reporting on these days? That has typically been falling in the non-gov committee. And so ESG, I'm sure most of you know what that stands for. The E is the environment. The G is the governance of the board. And the S is really a lot of the work that HR leaders are doing. The S uh, wants us to report on things like pay equity, distribution of wealth uh, amongst the company, training and development of your employees, diversity metrics, health and safety, all of the things that we do on a day-to-day basis as HR leaders. So the good news is these are becoming standard requirements for non-financial metrics for all public companies and many private companies are following suit. So the non-Gov committee is typically the place where the ESG responsibility is moving to. Sometimes it sits in the audit committee. Periodically, it'll sit in the comp committee because there's a lot of compensation elements about the S part of ESG. But by and large, the non-gov committee is a place where the um, ESG responsibility is um, housed. So if you don't know about all of the non-financial metrics that are being asked about uh, these days around ESG, I would recommend getting online. There are a lot of uh, white papers that are out there. I particularly like the um, the World Economic Council put together a um, business, an international business council. And that's a great resource to really look at what are those non-financial metrics you need to become familiar with in your own company, but also as you seek a board opportunity, being able to speak to those.
0: Eileen, you touched on really from our past conversation, the three main topics that boards are focused on today, you mentioned to me, you said it's top of mind for your boards, compensation, ESG, and succession planning. And we talked about how, again, well-positioned primed CHROs are to support their boards, support their organizations in those three particular areas. And I think you've outlined it so nicely already, but is there anything else you would add in addition to that in terms of Topics that are top of mind for boards where CHROs are sort of looked to for expertise and insight and, and your expectation as a board member.
1: Well, I think the good news is in today's environment, if you look back two years ago when COVID hit um, and who was front and center in looking at how are we going to manage this workforce through COVID and some companies became overnight essential and other companies were considered distressed. The HR person in either case was dealing with all of the uh, compensation impact of that. And so understanding when there's an external crisis, how are you managing it? How are you um, delivering to the board creative solutions on working with your CEO and general counsel and CFO on these are how we need to manage the workforce in today's environment. After that's kind of settled down, I would kind of call it settling down at this point. But when that got, when the worst got behind us, then all of a sudden social justice came into um, the forefront. And from that, the good news about that is the the um, emphasis and attention on diversity, equity, and inclusion just it expanded exponentially. As HR leaders, we've been involved in DEI, you know, from the very beginning of our careers and whatever companies we worked at, we were always promoting diversity, equity and inclusion, but it never got named in such a way as it did uh, last summer. So understanding what your company's philosophy is, how you are being perceived both internally and externally, making sure that you as the HR leader are constantly assessing your um, organization and how effective you are along the journey of DeI those are the kinds of things that are expected to be presented at the board member um, at the board meetings as well. Each one of my companies has uh, at the beginning of every year they deliver to us their current overview of their DEI program. Many of them as a result have put in leaders to run the um, diversity equity and inclusion program that's great. Some of them are called, Corporate social responsibility, which has a broader remit around ESG in addition to DEI. And so I think it's very important to be front and center. What's going on in, the, um, in your organization? How are you managing it, measuring it, and reporting on it?
0: Eileen, I think that's an excellent place to leave our CHRO Quick Talk. And again, I just want to thank you for participating and being our very first Episode 1 interviewee. Appreciate the time. And for our listeners, if you'd like to learn more about the series or um, get access to our subsequent episodes, please do subscribe to our CHRO Navigator newsletter. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Eileen. You're
1: welcome.